Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the president and founder of Creation Training Initiative, where we offer training courses anywhere from one day to five days for training other Christians how to defend their faith and even speak and teach on the biblical topics of creation and apologetics. Well, we're going to have a very rapid-fire program for you today. Our title is called The Bible, The First Three Chapters. What I'd like to do is go through 20 important concepts in the first three chapters of the Bible that are critical to our understanding many other components of the Bible, including how it might affect our own Christian walk and witness. So let's get started with number one, 20 items, 20 important concepts that affect other parts of the Bible. And number one, in the first three chapters of Genesis, we find out who God is. We find out the very character of God. For example, He is the creator of all things. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We also see this supported in many other parts of the Bible, such as Nehemiah 9, 6, God is the creator of all things. Isaiah 45, verse 18, God is the creator of all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God is the creator of all things. Acts 14, 15, God is the creator of all things. Ephesians 3, 9, Hebrews 11, 3, and even Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, God is the creator of all things, not some things. We also see in the first three chapters about his character, he is all-powerful. Only he can create out of nothing. He is a God of order. His creation was the perfect order. Aren't you glad he made us on day six and not on day three or four? We would have been very hard to survive. He is also a transcendent God. He created all things, and He is not bound by His creation, but He transcends His creation. But He can enter into His creation, and He did so in the person of Jesus Christ. He is also a sovereign God, the absolute ruler over all His creation. And He also has a special interest in mankind. Only we were created in His image and likeness. And also we see as part of his character, his works are perfect. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where he calls his entire creation very good, meaning perfect. We see this also reinforced in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 4, where it reads, He is the rock. His work is perfect. He is also a God of judgment. The immediate result of man's choice to disobey God was the judgment on the first sin. And he's also, let's not forget, a God of mercy and grace. And we get all that out of the first three chapters of the Bible. Now, number two, the first three chapters of the Bible we find in the book of Genesis. We find the Christian worldview. The foundation for the entire Christian worldview starts in the book of Genesis with two basic presuppositions, and that is God exists and His Word is true. God exists, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. There is the existence of God. And we see the support that His Word is true in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it states, all Scripture is God-breathed. Then in John 17, 17, it states, His Word is true. Then we can turn to Matthew 22, verse 37, where we read a definition of a Christian worldview. Jesus Christ said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. Those we must give our mind over to God 
in order to really establish a real Christian worldview. And we see this supported in Romans 12, too, where it teaches we are to renew our minds when we come to Christ. Not be thinking like the world, not acting according to the world, but acting according to God's Word. So that's number two, the Christian worldview found in the first three chapters of the Bible. Number three, we find out why we call him Lord. Since he's the creator of all things, that means he gets to set the standards and the rules for how we are to live. It is why we call him Lord. And we see this also supported in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 10, 11, where we read, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So we call him Lord because he is the creator of all things. Then we come to number four, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of all space, time, and matter. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning is the beginning of time. The word heavens is the beginning of space. And the word earth is the beginning of all matter. So the whole beginning of the universe in the first three chapters of the Bible. Then number five, we find out the age of the earth in the first three chapters of the Bible, where it states that God created everything in six literal days. It does not say millions of years there, folks. It cannot be put in the Bible. It uses the word day and it defines the word day. And each day, we have first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. God places a number there. And in the Old Testament, wherever we see a number of the word day, it only means a day. He even defined the days for us by giving each day a different beginning and an ending. Evening and morning, first day. Evening and morning, second day. Evening and morning, third day. And then God wrote it down in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 11. God wrote this down on the tablets himself. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. There is no dispute. There should be no dispute that God's creation was six literal days. To say anything otherwise is to add to God's word, which he commands us not to do. Then the genealogies, Genesis chapter 5, support an earth of about 6,000 years. When you line all these names up in those genealogies, it gives an age of the earth about 6,000 years. And then in Mark 10, verse 6, Jesus Christ tells us the earth is young and not millions of years old, where he makes this statement, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Jesus Christ is telling us there that man and woman were on this planet from the beginning of creation. If we don't believe that, then we're not believing the very words of Jesus Christ. Now, so far, we've been through the first five. We've had who God is, understanding his character, the Christian worldview found in the first three chapters, why we call him Lord, the beginning of the universe, space, time, and matter, and the age of the earth, all in the first three chapters of the Bible. Now let's go to number six, where we find in the first three chapters is where we find our understanding of science. We understand astronomy, physics, biology, all about dinosaurs, the origin of life, paleontology, the fossil record, and the design, incredible design in all life, right there in the first three chapters. For example, physics and astronomy. Day four, God made the stars. There, you know, there's no known process for how stars form. 
There's only conjecture. No one's ever seen a star form. And based on the principle of physics, they will not form on their own. But God made it so easy. In day four, he says, and he made the stars also. Right there, we have an understanding of physics. Then we have biology. We're in Genesis chapter 1. It says he created a thing after its kind. And that is exactly what we see happening. That is the observational evidence. Dogs always produce dogs. Elephants always produce elephants. Bacteria always produce bacteria and never anything else. Everything was created after its kind. And then we see paleontology. The fossil record clearly supports the Bible. And God gives us, again, everything was created after its kind. We don't see any real transitions in the fossil record. What we find down at the bottom layer is called the Cambrian explosion. Are fossils of single cells? Then every major body shape comes into existence with no transitions. A complete lack of transitions throughout the fossil record. Then we see fossil graveyards all over the world. Came from the flood, Genesis chapter 7. A flood where many, many creatures from many diverse areas were all buried and became fossils. And we find these fossils, sometimes hundreds and thousands of them, all buried and mangled together in what we call a fossil graveyard, all in sediments laid down by water. So again, the understanding of paleontology in the fossil record in the first three chapters of Genesis. Then we have the law of biogenesis explained to us in the first three chapters, that life only comes from life. That is a law of science. There are no exceptions to this. Life only comes from life. Our best scientists in the world cannot even create one single biological protein, let alone things like the DNA or the cell. So there we have a description of that law of science, that life only comes from life. Then we have design in all life, the incredible design in all life. For example, let's take the human body, which God calls fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me give you some examples why it is fearfully and wonderfully made. Number one, in the human body, there are about 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Can you imagine that? 60,000 miles of blood vessels in our body. And God put it all there. Can you imagine taking a machine and wiring it up with 60,000 miles of wire and making it work? But God did. That's why we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right out of Psalm 139, verse 14. We have a heart that pumps about 100,000 times a day, and guess what? We don't need to oil it. We have red blood cells that transport oxygen throughout the body. We have white blood cells that identify enemy agents and sacrifice themselves to get rid of these diseases and destroy them. We have ears and eyes that are more complex than any machine mankind's ever made. The human body is made up of about 60 trillion cells, and each cell is more complex than any machine mankind's ever made. We have some of our bones in our body that are stronger than concrete. We have a nose that can recognize and remember over 50,000 scents and smells. Wouldn't it be nice if we could forget a few of those? We have nerve impulses that go to and from the brain that travel up to 170 miles an hour. Every three to four days, you get a new stomach lining. Aren't we glad God did that? Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be alive very long because of all the stomach acid in there that is needed to help digest our food. We have a liver in us with about 500 different functions. We have sneezes that can exceed sometimes 100 miles an hour. We have teeth that start growing at six months before we're even born. Eyes that are fully grown at birth. 
the DNA molecule that's in us is so complex, our best scientists still cannot figure it out. Every year we learn some new things about the incredible DNA molecule. And then, just had to add this one in there. Did you know it takes 17 muscles to smile, and only but 43 to frown? So let's do a little more smiling here, because we have a greater God who created all things and called us fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, this is what's called real design. This is not random chance. This is not so-called the appearance of design. This is purposeful design by our creator God, Jesus Christ. Number seven, we find out about our original relationship with God. We had a perfect relationship until the fall. Before the fall, there was no sin and no death. A perfect relationship. Number eight, we find out about the consequences of sin called separation, the curse against a holy and perfect God we sinned. We see this reiterated in Romans 5.12, supporting what we find in the first three chapters of the Bible, that there was no death before sin. Our religion relationship was perfect and the consequences of sin where it states, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. There's the consequences of sin. It's called death. And we see this also supported in Romans 8, chapter 22, where it reads, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. In other words, the consequences of sin were death and the corruption of the entire creation. Number nine, in the first three chapters of the Bible, we found out why we die. It's called the fall sin, disobedience. You see, we were made to live forever. The Bible clearly states this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, where it reads, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he be put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Right there in the words of the Bible, it says we could have lived forever, but we do not because of sin, disobedience, rebellion of God's Word. And then number 10, first three chapters, we have a God who keeps His promises. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, where it reads, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, God gave Adam and Eve one rule, just one rule. Do not eat of this tree or you will suffer the consequences of death. Well, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They broke that rule and God kept his promise. Death came to all. Now, let's get to the second half. Number 11. The first three chapters of the Bible, we find out about the foundation for human rights. You see, God is the creator of all things. That means he gets to set the standards, the rules, and rights by which we are to live. You see, the very existence of rights depend on God. And we see this in John chapter 1, verse 12, where it states, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. See, God gave us the right to become children of Him if we accept 
his one and only solution, Jesus Christ. So God sets our rights. And we read this also in one of our founding documents, the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, which states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, our founding fathers knew that this country would only survive if our rights came from God and not the state. Number 12, we have the foundation of marriage. Right in the first three chapters of Genesis, God gives us the institution of marriage, one man and one woman. We see this in Genesis 1, verse 27, where it states, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And we see this supported in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 and 6, where it states, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And also in Mark 10, verse 6, where Jesus states, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So we see the whole institution of marriage, one man and one woman. That is how God made it. Then number 13. In the first three chapters of the Bible, all other gods are false gods. And we see this in Isaiah 44, verse 6, Isaiah 45, verse 5, and Isaiah 46, verse 9, that there's only one God and there are no other gods. So all three of those verses in Isaiah teach us there's only one God. As it says in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Not gods, but God. Therefore, Things such as the sun, the moon, the stars, rocks, crystals, and the oceans are all created things. People have worshipped these throughout history, but they're nothing more than created things, inanimate objects. In addition, we have human hands that are carving out statues to make into lifeless idols and then bowing down and worshipping these lifeless idols rather than the living creator God. And we see this happening, and we see this warning in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, where it reads, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We have no excuse for not believing in a creator. Then verse 21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful nor became, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts, hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That is a good explanation of what is happening today. Men are fashioning crystals to look like objects. Carvings, nothing more than lifeless idols, and bowing down before these lifeless idols rather than their living creator, God. Number 14, in the first three chapters of the Bible, we find out why homosexuality fails. See, God created us male and female. 
This was God's plan to multiply the human species. We see this again in Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. We also see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and there shall be one flesh. One man, one woman. That is marriage. That is why homosexuality fails. It is against the will of God. And incidentally, homosexuality also goes against the teachings of evolutionism, which is sometimes referred to as survival of the fittest. See, homosexuality has no means for propagating the species. Therefore, it leads to nothing more than a dead end. Number 15, God establishes our work schedule. See, God established the week through His creation. We have a year, which is an astronomical event, the time it takes the earth to rotate around the sun. We have a month, governed by how long it takes the moon to go around the earth. We have a day, which is regulated by the rotation of the earth once on its axis. And all three of those are astronomical events, but the week is not. It is God-given. God gave us the week. We are to work six, rest one. The perfect plan for our life, the definition of a week. We see God also gave us this in Exodus 20, verse 11, where he states, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Our perfect work week. Number 16, we find out why God has to make everything new. It's called the battle for sovereignty. In order to demonstrate his sovereignty during history, God must restore the earth to the basic original condition it enjoyed before man's rebellion. In other words, God will abolish physical death. Death is the last enemy. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20, verse 26. God will restore the perfect environment before the fall. God will crush his enemy, Satan, rid the earth of his kingdom, and then reestablish his theocratic kingdom on this earth. In other words, time will be up for Satan. God will take back what he allowed Satan to do and to have called the temporary dominion of the earth. The reversal of the consequences of man's sin is called God's plan of redemption, his entire program of redemption. Number 17. In the first three chapters of Genesis, we have the very foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we throw these chapters away, folks, we can no longer present a full gospel. In other words, the full gospel is four components. God, man, Jesus Christ, and response. See, God is the creator of all things, and his creation was perfect. No blemish on his creation. It was perfect. Then comes man, Adam and Eve, and they rebel against God and destroy his perfect creation. It's called sin. And all of creation comes under the curse. And we are now separated from a holy and perfect God with no hope. But God in his mercy sends his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on that cross, to take our place, our punishment, so that we can have eternal salvation. And it is only through Jesus Christ, no other name. And then the fourth component of the gospel is our response. And it is not what we can do. 
It's what's already been done for us. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the full gospel is God, man, Jesus Christ, and response. And the first two components come out of the first three chapters of the Bible. Number 18, in the first three chapters, we have the first promise of a Savior. Where it reads this way in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There we have the first promise of a Savior, God's mercy on us. Then we have number 19. The first three chapters lay the foundation for the understanding of the book of Revelation and end times. Without a full understanding of the true history of those first three chapters, you will not fully understand end times and the last book of the Bible. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the curse is announced because of our sin. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, the curse is removed. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, we're told we have to toil for food because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 22, verse 2, we have an abundance of food. In Genesis 3, verse 19, death to all because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 21, verse 4, there is no more death. In Genesis 3, 21, we have to wear coats of skin because of our rebellion. But in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we have clean linen. Then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, the tree of life is denied because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 22, verse 14, the tree of life is supplied. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, we are banished from paradise because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 22, verse 14, we have entrance into paradise heaven. In Genesis 3, verse 15, we have redemption promised. But in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, redemption is accomplished. In Genesis 6, verse 5, evil is everywhere because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 21, verse 27, evil is excluded. And finally, in Genesis 3, verse 24, angels blocked the way because of our rebellion. But in Revelation 21, verse 9, angels show the way. See, if Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis, are not real history, or don't really mean what they say, then how will we understand the book of Revelation? Will we also spiritualize it and say it's not going to happen? It's just good for spiritual teaching? See, is the book of Revelation just a myth? Because if Genesis is myth, so is Revelation. And if Genesis and Revelation are not real history and not what they really say, then how can we trust any of the information between these two books? And when and where did we start really believing God's Word as real history? Again, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 tell us all Scripture is God-breathed, where it reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, we must start with the book of Genesis as real history to understand end times in the book of Revelation and also because if we want to be thoroughly equipped, we must understand God's word as real and not some myth or some allegory. And then finally, the last one, number 20. 
why so many of our youth are leaving the church today. The first three chapters of the Bible help us understand why up to 70% of our Christian youth leave the church. A major factor in this is they're not being told the Bible has answers. They're not being told that God's creation really means six literal days. Too many churches are leaving it open to our interpretation. Too many Christian seminaries are leaving it open saying, just whatever you want to believe, folks. I thought God said His Word is true, and it is all God-breathed. It is not a matter of your opinion. We need to trust God's Word, and we need to take care of these professors out there who don't believe God's Word and are training our next generation not to believe God's Word. You see, let me give you a quote. In a current issue from Creation Ministries International in their newsletter, Prayer News, in July, in an article by Gary Bates, he makes this statement. The number one sign your children are borrowing your faith is if they are not asking questions. In other words, because our youth are not asking questions, they're not getting answers. Maybe they don't believe God's Word. Well, in that article, they give five reasons why they're not asking questions. Number one, they may be just interested enough to not ask questions, but not so uninterested as to reject Christianity. Number two, they may not see the importance of Christian belief in their lives. Number three, they may not have been exposed to enough non-Christian ideas yet. Number four, they may be scared or uncertain of your reaction. And number five, they may be getting answers elsewhere, such in schools, peers, compromised churches, the media. One thing we have to remember is that the number one teacher in a child's life is the parent. It is our job to make sure our children understand that the Bible does have answers. It is not necessarily the church's job nor the Christian school's job. Number one is the parent. That means as parents, we need to do our job. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, that we are to have a ready answer always for the hope that's within us. We'll be able to defend our faith against all attacks. As parents, we have to know how to do this so we can pass it on to the next generation or we will continue to lose over 70% of our youth and they may be your children. In other words, we need to train our children how to answer these type of questions. Who did Cain marry? How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Was there really a worldwide flood and how can we know? How old is the earth, or does the age even matter? How could Adam name all the animals in one day? Have scientists really proven the evolution to be true? And what about carbon-14 dating? They need to have answers to all these questions. All these answers can be taught to a junior high student, and they can understand them. You see, if we compromise the first three chapters by adding in millions of years, if we compromise the first three chapters by saying God used evolution, if we spiritualize the first three chapters by saying they're not real history, or if we are simply apathetic to the first three chapters by not caring or thinking it's an important issue, then this is what it leads to. How can we know the Bible for sure or the rest of the Bible is true? How can we explain why Jesus Christ had to go to the cross if the first three chapters aren't real history? How can we say we believe Jesus when he stated in Mark 10, verse 6, 
but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Jesus Christ believed in a young earth. How can we believe Jesus when it states in John 3.12, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, Jesus Christ said there, I'm going to tell you the history, the physical things about the this planet. If you don't believe what I tell you about the history and the physical things, how will you believe what I say? And folks, Jesus Christ was the creator of all things, and he gave us his word six literal days. How can we believe Jesus when he states in John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, what did Moses record? the first five books of the Bible, which includes the first three chapters of the Bible. Here's Jesus Christ telling us this. If you don't believe that, how will you believe him? And that is what is happening to a lot of our youth. They're being taught not to believe the first three chapters of Genesis. It's not real history. Just good spiritual teaching. God didn't really create the way he says he does. He did six literal days. And as a result, 70% of the next generation are leaving the church. How can we really say we're being obedient to God's word when he said all of it is God breathed and all of it is true and all of it is good for teaching, not some of it. You see, the first three chapters of the Bible is the reason the entire rest of the Bible had to take place. It is called God's plan of redemption. The question I will leave you with, do you really believe the Word of God. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.